Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for one of the Supercoach pre-season editions of the podcast. Uh, this episode, we're going to be going through the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. And Luke Garrity, resident Knights fan, big Supercoach fan, and also prominent jersey collector, is going to be on board to discuss everything with Canterbury Bulldogs for Supercoach purposes this week. Luke, great to have you on to discuss the dogs, mate. Thanks, mate. Looking forward to it. Good to do a team that's not one of ours. Hopefully, it'll be a bit shorter than when we board uh, everyone with hours of Knights and Roosters chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Luke was on the, the Knights and the Roosters team previews as well um, from a couple of months ago. So you'll definitely recognize him from those ones and from some future episodes as well. So if anyone's new to the podcast, guys, we've got our talking footy episodes, which are once a week now. Uh, we just had one drop of those previously, and we've got one or two super coach episodes each week. And this is one of the All Stars super coach episodes. We'll be going through all the, the teams. This one's the Bulldogs, like I said, but we've only got three teams left after this one for super coach previews, and we'll be getting to those in the next week and a half. But for this one, the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs. So I think. To try and be nice to the Bulldogs, we've got to go glass half full. They're going to go better than last year, Luke. So last year they were dead last. There's not really any way around how badly their season went. Their forward against was terrible. Their attack was bad. Their defence was the bottom of the league as well. There isn't really anything positive to say about the 2021 campaign of the Canterbury Bulldogs, but they have brought in a lot of players. So I do think for Supercoach, they're going to be a lot more relevant this year than what they were last year. Certainly some more interesting options that have come into the team this year. Uh, and I do think that they will improve this year. So I'm going to say for me, I reckon their range is anywhere from 10 to 14. Um, I don't think they'll finish bottom two. And, and I think that's pretty much an improvement for them. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I don't see them any higher than 12th, to be brutally honest with you. Um, that's not a, a big criticism of them. I think people get too caught up in bringing big recruits in. Uh, I think what you'll tend to find, and there's a lot of data on this over the years, uh, Parramatta in the 90s were a great one when they brought all the Bulldogs players and got about 12 players in and didn't make the finals. Uh, Newcastle after their two spoons in a row and got Ponger and Pierce and everyone only finished 11th. It's very hard with a new team to go right up the table. It can take a couple of years before you get that result. A couple of years later, Parramatta did it in the 90s. The Knights made the eight a few years later. The Bulldogs, I think, will be like this. You do need at that time to gel the new team together. You don't just get four or five good players and turn that into combinations and team performance overnight. So I expect them to do better. Um, I'm not saying that they won't improve, but I don't think it'll be this giant ladder jump that some of the dogs fans are looking for. I think that might still take a year or two, a few more guys in and time to build those combinations and build a squad. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, when we're looking at their gains and losses, though, I will say their gains are mm. extraordinarily better than what their losses are. So I think that the big the big losses really... Uh, are going to be Adam Elliott did have some good games for them, although it was about time he was moved on. I, I do find it quite funny, and I know you will as well, that he was actually moved on before he was actually dropped from the starting side. So. <laughs> yeah. um, we've also got a Tony off to the Roosters, but he was sort of a fringe or bench player. Cottridge is going to be a, a bit of a loss. He played badly for them, though, so I don't see it making much difference, but he did play a lot better at the Raiders, so it might be better for both parties there. Pobolati is, I think, a, a reasonable loss and probably their biggest loss. Um, he has an impact in, as a leadership capacity as well that I think they're going to miss. But 
really. You know, DWZ was already over in New Zealand um, partway through last season anyway, um, so he's not a real loss. They didn't really have him. And some of the other guys are more sort of fringe first graders. So gains-wise, you know, Josh Adokar, arguably the the number one winger in the world, although Brian Toto and for fanboys like me, my boy Daniel Tupo <laughs> would probably have some something to say about that. But Josh Adokar, big signing for them. Um, Braden Burns, I think, is an underrated signing for them. He's been injured all the time, but when he's not injured, he actually plays decent. Matt Burton's a bit of a superstar in the making signing, potentially. Uh, Matt Dufty was electric last year for the, the Dragons, and they managed to get him on a good deal. Tavita Penguin Jr. is a huge signing. Uh, I think he's fantastic. Uh, definitely a star-level signing there. Paul Vaughan is a value signing that could be a really good first-grade player for them. And Brent Naden, a um, bit of Penrith depth that they couldn't fit into their side that's coming over. So, look, literally half a dozen guys there could slot straight into the starting team. You know, so it's yep. it's a pretty big recruitment that the dogs have undertaken. You expect them to be better. I, I do. I just uh, the names are good, but it just takes time. It, it's you can look through history, and pe- people are just too quick to assume it turns around when you sign first graders and a couple of good ones. And it it, it does. I've, I've watched the Knights do it, and it took two years of eleventh after Pierce and Ponga and these guys and got there for them to actually turn into the eight. Uh, Parramatta and the Knights were the biggest recruitment drives ever. They got like four players from the from the Premiers and the Bulldogs and signed about 12 players overall and, and moved two spots up the ladder. But two years later, they were making prelims consistently for a couple of years and made a grand final four or five later. Just when you're down where the Bulldogs are, your culture and your team can't turn around overnight um, by bringing in even five or six players. I think they'll be better. I, I do agree on that, but I, I just think that people need to curb it a little bit. I'm starting to hear a bit of paper talk about how good they're going to be and how, you know, they, they might push for the finals. And I think it's unrealistic to think that that is that likely. I think they're still going to be around that 12th as it will be a reasonable result, but I think they're good signings and they can improve from there. I think Matt Dufty is a really good signing because he's got something to prove and he's got a lot of spark and they miss that. I like, Burton, I think he's going to be under a lot of pressure, but I do like him as a player and I like Pangai. So I think they've got some good guys in. Um, Ado Carr will be interesting because he's been on the end of a very good backline for a long time and he now goes into a role and essentially replaces Kotrick, who couldn't do anything there because there was nothing to finish. So he'll rely on Burton and those guys a bit. I think they'll be better, but I just think better doesn't, doesn't mean good. I think better <laughs> means, I think better means, you know, into that 12 spot and starting to push a couple of wins from the finals. They bring in Reid Marnie next year. All these guys bed their combinations because that's what you got to remember. When you play the Roosters, when you play the Storm, when you play Penrith, these sides have been together for years. These guys know each other inside out. They know their structures. They know their strengths. Um, Cleary can hit guys in that Penrith side without looking these days, that sort of thing. That doesn't come overnight. You do have to – those combinations don't take a preseason. They take a long time to build and they take careers to build. So I think they're going to spend – have a bit of teething issues. I think Think they'll improve as a side and I think next year we could expect them to push up a couple more spots especially if some of these younger guys come on because they do have some good young players coming through but they're probably not ready to carry the can yet yeah I think all that's pretty fair I mean look I have I've sort of been pushed to say you know name three teams out of the top eight that are going to you know push into the top eight this year at three other teams expense that were there and I don't think there's that many teams that are going to bust into the top eight and I have sort of looked at it and gone well Maybe the dogs, you know, I could see the dogs best case scenario being on the fringe, oh. you know, 10th or something. Zero percent chance. I'm going to put it out there. There you go. Well, 
look, I think there's a zero percent chance almost that <laughs> I'll, I'll never say zero. There's yeah. a one percent chance that three teams outside of the top eight last year yeah. will make the top eight this year. You know, I, I don't think there'll be that much change either. No. Yeah, um, I think one to two and two yeah. sort of stretching it, but I can see two. But um, uh, Newcastle well, will miss it, and and someone will come in for them. But I, I apart from that, uh, only the Titans might fall out. I think the other six are rusted on to be there again. To be honest with you. So, yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. But um, at a push, I've made that big call that yep. maybe the dogs, but I sort of see them probably best case fringe at sort of 10th. Um, so 10 to 14. And look, like Luke said, I agree with that. That 12th would actually be a good season for them. And you, they can have a good season and not play in the eight, you know, and it's something. It's oh, from, from where they you were. Sometimes. Yeah, from where they you, were. You've you got to look at improvement, right? Mm, and, yeah. You know, it's going to be interesting too, because like you mentioned, like the players need to gel and everything else. But the big factor here as well is Trent Barrett, you know, like. What's Trent Barrett going to do to super coaches this year? Because he hasn't been particularly kind in the past. He hasn't given them any attack to work with at all. Um, and that's been, you know, an absolute killer for super coach because there's just been no clutch attack points for that back line. So hopefully Trent Barrett uh, actually proves that he's a legitimate NRL first grade coach that should be around a long time and not just an assistant coach. That's going to be a big question mark for them this year too. And it's going to directly affect their super coach options. Let's look at their super coach options, mm-hmm. Luke. Let's get into it. Um, for their super coach options, I think that you do need to look at the draw. Uh, so before we go into the gun talk, the draw starts off and you're pretty happy if you're a Bulldogs fan. Cowboys straight up, then we'll hit the Broncos. Okay, pretty happy. And then you just go into this terrible feeling that the NRL has conspired against you and hates your club and wants you to come last again <laughs> because you then follow up those first two weeks with Manly, Storm, Penrith, Rabbits. <laughs> and I tell you what, you get a bit of a reprieve playing the Broncos in round seven, but then you hit the Roosters. <laughs> so in the first two months, you've got last year's top five. Five out of your eight games are last year's top five and likely top five teams from this season. Um, when you're talking super coach, it does not get much worse than that. So, I mean... I think that you could probably talk yourself around on some of these options as potential, especially if they have a good draw, but their draw is just bad, you know, and to start for the first couple of months anyway. Panthers, Rabbits, Seagulls, Eels, they play twice. So it doesn't get any better. They do play the first bye though, Luke, and it happens to be against Penrith. So another bad one for them, but at least Penrith will be a little bit decimated with the origin probably. So they just don't really have much run of great games. You know, they've got 10 through 12 rounds. They've got Newcastle Tigers Dragons, which is probably the main good run that they have. Um, so you certainly wouldn't look at this draw, Luke, and say, I need to come around and try and find some Bulldogs to buy. No, I agree. Three of those top four games in a row are away too. They've got Manly away, Melbourne away, and Penrith away, and the South are, is at home. But, I mean, it's South home ground as well. <laughs> so, um, it's yeah, it's a tough run. Um, I just don't think – I wouldn't even look – the draw rules it out, but I wouldn't even look at any attacking players for them till we see their attack. We know how bad it was last year. I was at their trial game on the weekend, and it wasn't any good there either. Burton didn't play, but um, it, it the rest of them – sort of did in the spine and around there and, and the centers and things. So I think 
you need to see something before you trust anyone that's not in a base stat position. You're either picking guys with 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 base, and that's what you're looking for them for, or base attack. You know, you, I'm sure we'll get into them, but there's some forwards there, for example, that that should have something to offer there. And outside of that, we need to see that something's different before you look at their attacking players because you look at last season and some of the runs guys got on, like your Alex Johnsons with the tries and Garrick and all that. There is no reason to think it's going to be the Bulldogs players yet. They have to give us a reason before we start chasing any of them. Yep, 100%. So let's move on to the gun talk. Tavita Pengai Jr., new recruit, uh, one of my, probably my favourite Bulldog buy out of the Bulldogs team. Comes in at 570000 for this season. I think the big thing with TPJ is that he's a dual front row forward, second row forward. So being able to put him as one of your front row forward starters, I think is a massive deal. Uh, look, he had a good season last year, um, but it was below his best. So in 2021, he averaged 65 points a game. He did that in 61 minutes a game. That was hugely down, though, from 2020, where he had 69 minutes a game, so eight minutes more. And instead of 65 points a game, he was a 70-point player, which was his career year. Uh, Obviously, went over to Penrith sort of later in the year, and that's affected his overall numbers. Uh, Played 18 games for the season, so he missed half a dozen as well. But, Luke, when you're unpacking the numbers here, you know, you can look at his 70-minute games only. 10 70-minute games plus that he played, so that's between 70 and 80 minutes. And only two of those scores were below 60, which were a 41 and a 56. So the 56 is pretty strong. And he had an average of 68 points. So, you know, it's only a, a few better points value than what he's priced at. But at the same time, you know, it's more like five points that he could put on if he went back to his career year where he's averaging 69 minutes a game. And by all accounts, he looks like he might be an 80-minute edge player potentially at the Dogs. And if they do that, it could be looking at a career year, um, which, by the way, you know, we talk about the Dogs lacking and and maybe hurting players, you know, certainly TPJ has some clutch attack ability and some base attack ability, but he's coming from the Broncos whose attack wasn't great at the best of times as well. So maybe it doesn't affect him too much, but you know, when we're looking at it as a front row forward, um, his scoring would actually be, you know, really right up there with someone that you want to keep. So he did have three bench games with the Panthers, but even including those, he had a base base attack overall for the season of 56. If you compare that to someone, you know, Ola Kawatu might be a good comparison. His base base attack as an edge player when playing 80 minutes was 45. So TPJ is 10 plus better in base attack. And when we're looking at his base attack, he's a 2.5 offload guy with, with over five tackle breaks a game. So I love everything about TPJ's game. I always have. The minutes have always been over the shop all the time, and especially under Kevin Walters. He's now not got Kevin Walters, probably got a starting gig on an edge where he'll get 80 minutes, 570K. I really like him as a front row forward. He was one of my first front row forwards I picked along with Huss, and he hasn't left my team um, since those early beginnings of putting my side together. Yeah, love him. Uh, I think, uh, now this is a very big if. I I accept that people will laugh when I say if this happens, um, because it won't. But if he was not to get majorly suspended this year (laughs) and miss a heap of games, he could challenge Huss to be the best prop and I think he'll be the second best prop um, on average uh, but on total points he could as well because he won't get picked for origin and those sorts of things so I think he'll be up right at the top of the total points if he doesn't get a massive suspension somewhere in the season that's always going to be the risk but being dual is very handy there too because you can hide him a little bit um, I love him I think he's unders I think he's more unders than Hass is um, I think Walters has shown he wants to manage Hass's first half of the season. I love Hass as well, but I reckon Pangai's real value. Um, and 
I'd be looking pretty hard at him as probably in the front row, but you could also look at him in the second row because you could look at him as a second row option that you can shift up to the front row later as you sort of look at him as a final front row, but someone that you can get good points from now if you don't want to spend huge money on Crichton and Fafita and those guys if you want to look a little bit cheaper. So I reckon I wouldn't discourage anyone from looking at him. He gets good base, a lovely offload game. Uh, I think Burton will put him through for a few tries at some point or another, probably not in that terrible run of four games, but maybe in the first two. Um, and, you know, those offloads, they're just getting try assists and stuff here and there because you'll throw some ridiculously dumb offload and someone will score off it and there's your 100-pointer out of the blue. So I love that ceiling as well. So get on him. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Plays the first buy too, um, provided he's not going to be in the yep. Origin team. So that's always handy. He, he won't make Origin. I reckon he said that's another reason he's a lock. It's a hard season with those those buys back, and he won't. Freddie won't look at him for Origin. Yep, he can ton yeah. up too. He always gets his ton. Yep, uh, he had a couple of tons last year, even though he missed the, the what seven games, and he's also a guy that um, you can expect that base attack, I think, to stay pretty consistent. Um, I think that he's got 100K value in him. I actually think you're getting him in probably 100K unders, which yeah, that's that's really valuable buying him from the offset, from the outset rather than having to spend an extra 100K down the track. Um, and obviously you get the benefit of those points too. Plays the Broncos early as well. So I, I know, especially with someone like him, I expect him to fire up in that Broncos game. And I'll, I'll pick him right now to go for a try in that Broncos game. I reckon you go and get on top sport and you'll probably get $4 on him and he'll probably score one for you. Yeah, he'll definitely try. So that's always a good sign. If he's fired up, I reckon if he gets near the line, he'll go for it. So that's what you want yep. to be looking he's for. He's everything that you want in a front row forward. Um, and, and I agree with Luke. He could be one of the top ones and you can get him at a discount to start with. Look, funnily enough, the, the other Bulldogs gun that we're going to talk about, this guy's not a new recruit and that's Luke Thompson, but he's the other front row forward uh, guy that you could have there. And he's a very similar price point. So Luke Thompson's 583K, uh, very similar price point to what Pangai is. And I think that Thompson... You know, he came in two years ago and I actually really liked him. I talked him up quite a bit. I thought that he was going to be really good, um, both in real life and in super coach. And look, he did well, you know, first year over from England. He's played 10 games, 54 minutes a game for 51 points a game. It's a solid debut season. I thought that he had more in him. I didn't expect the more to be what he did last year. It was actually better than I thought. He played 56 minutes a game, so only two minutes extra. But his average went from 51 points a game all the way up to 66. Uh, and I really like what I saw in his game. So for two extra minutes, he actually had 15 extra points. Sometimes you might see that and think it's an outlier. I actually don't. I think that it's um, pretty normal in uh, an English player development and comfort level playing the NRL game. Uh, and I think that we saw that with him. So I think a lot of it can be attributed to that. Look, interesting with him because he's coming on a 66-point average uh, whether he can maintain that is one thing. But when you look at it, his base is extremely strong. He's got a 55 raw base on last year. And when you count his base base attack, he's an over 62. So he's getting your 62 a game pretty easily. That's actually better than Pangai just because his, his raw base work rate is better. Uh, he's only got one sub 50 performance and he's got his three tries in 15 games counting, which really... It's very repeatable for him to score three tries in 15 games again, even as a front rower. So just that one, only one sub 50 performance really got me in out of 15 games and the 55 broad base. I, I wasn't considering him at all. Um, but the more I looked at him for this podcast, I sort of thought, wow, he's got real under the radar because he deserves some, some props. He's actually played really well last year. And if he gets any better, uh, he's going to be a super option. Yeah, I think that's right. He does fly under the radar. I, I, I think... 
I think there's better options from the start because I, I think in their team, I think they've got a, a bit more in it. Well, I've said they won't be that good, but I think they will try and a bit more in attack this year with a few more attacking players out in the back line and Burton there. And, and they've also got a bit more help in the forwards. I think he will have to take a little bit less on his shoulders having Pangai there to do some work and Vaughan into the team will help a bit. So I think he'll be good. I wouldn't risk starting with him. I think there's guys that are either the same price or cheaper that probably a better value. You, you know, you, you've got your, your arrows and those guys in the 400s. Um, and then you've got guys like Fanua Blake and Pangai in the fives that I think probably have a bigger ceiling. So I'm probably veering away from him for the start. But if he keeps doing what he was doing, I think you'd have to look very hard at him for that buy as one of your first forward upgrades, if you're starting, especially if you start a couple of the premiums, if you're starting a couple of the really expensive guys, so you're really then looking to snap up guys that you can afford with your first sort of downgrade and upgrade, it could be a guy you could go, this could sold up my squad, give me a, a fourth, second row or a third prop or whatever, give me a bit of cover and get me through that buy with a good solid amount of points every week. Yeah, I agree with Luke. Uh, I think that he's going to be hard to start with because you need to see him replicate it. Uh, maybe he takes a leap and he goes up a couple of points, but the likelihood is he might take a little bit of a dip or stay the same. You want to probably see that first. He's going to be the ideal buy um, a couple of months into the season, though, when you want to cash out a Lawton or something like that and prepare for that round 13 buy. Great thing with Thompson that I like, he's a jewel, so you can move him around, but you can also just leave him there after that buy and have him as a fringe keeper to rotate through, which I really like. So mm-hmm. I really like him as a, a keep an eye on him for the early parts of the season, but don't necessarily start with him just because there probably is some other options that you might want to go with that are a bit more dynamic. Uh, Matt Burton, big recruit for the Bulldogs. Very lauded. A lot of Bulldogs fans are hoping they're gonna he's going to go off and take him to the promised land of the finals. He comes in after a really good season with Penrith, which is super annoying because he played 80 minutes a game and he averaged 66 points. So Penrith putting him in the centre is really stuffed us as super coaches because if he could have played some bench utility games, which it looked like he might, then it really would have helped with his value. But because that hasn't happened, he doesn't have much value at 576,000. Played seven games as a starting half in 2021. So that's one at seven and, and six games at number six, but I'm going to count them the same because it's still in the halves. In those seven games in 2021 as a half, he averaged 71 points. Um, half of them he did do goal kicking though, so it's probably closer to his 66-point uh, price point if you say that he's not going to kick at the dogs. In 2020, if you go back to then, he actually had 73 as a half on an average, but he did that in just two games, so it was a small sample size. So really, across his starting halves games, the nice thing with him that I liked was he had a raw base of 27, uh, and he can get good base-base attack too. So I'd estimate he's going to be anywhere from 35 to 40 in his base-base attack range as a half, which is quite good. Uh, so obviously he's a guy that's going to have the keys to the car, Luke. He's going to be running the offense. He's going to be the main man in that spine. Remains to be seen how it's going to go because he had a heap of tons last year. Uh, but really, aside from you know a massive one of 134, the other early ones that came, 123, second biggest scores at centre because he scored a hat-trick of tries. Uh, another one at 107 where he scored a try and had a couple of assists as a centre to his winger. So he was scoring a lot of points at Penrith at times, but a lot of the time it was in Penrith romps. It's not going to happen at the Dogs and he's going to have to get it done through assists. And he wasn't really doing that a lot um, for the Penrith Panthers. So I guess a bit of an unknown quantity, but at 576k, we've spoken about how awkward the half spot can be. If you're looking at all those guys that are in that sort of 500 to 600 range, You'd probably have to say he's in the mix, but I think that the draw completely kills him and everything else you have to just wait and see. 
Um, oh, absolutely not. Um, not on any planet, not whatever the draw was. <laughs> and I really like the look of Matt Burton. I think he could be a really good footballer. But if you are taking someone's average from playing centre at Penrith and transplanting them into playing 5-8 at Canterbury, that's that's just not how Supercoach works. You don't take them out of the premiers. I should have said the drawer oh, no, in the club. I, yeah. I need to say drawer and club. You can't, you can't <laughs> take him out of the premiers and put him in the wooden spooners in a different position and then pick him on his super coach average from last year. He'll play well for Canterbury, I think. He's under a lot of pressure because we've barely seen him play there. That's the thing is he's got all these raps and he should because he's a really good player. But he's a very young player in his halves career who's got a very big job in front of him. So I think he'll play well for Canterbury and I think he'll have some good days. And they've got a couple of early games, so he might come out and bang a big score and everyone will tell me I'm an idiot. But I think over the season, you could expect him to be learning his trade, to have some good weeks, but he'll have a lot of not-so-good weeks there. Um, And again, we just don't really have a base on what his hard scores will be. Last year, he played in origin-affected sides here and there where he was A, was the main man, but B, didn't have the usual guys he'd work with and all that sort of stuff. And, and the centre scores really skew it. He's just a, a wait and watch, a really good player for the future, hopefully, because he's got so much talent. I'd really like to see him make it. But you, you can't pick him on Supercoach. You're looking for guys that are, have the opportunity to do better and the opportunity to be go above where they're at. And you just don't see that for a guy who played centre, absolutely poaching tries and big days out and stuff moves into the halves for the worst team in the comp. That's not not how it works. He had a humongous amount of tries last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's obviously not going to score those. Look, I'm I'm going to say, though, that Burton and Luke Thompson out of this whole Dogs team are probably two, my two favourite um, draft options. Mm. They're two guys on my draft list. Like, Luke Thompson will be criminally underrated in, in Supercoach drafts. He'll Agreed. drop a lot yep. and you'll get him at a spot where he'll produce two or three rounds better value for you. Uh, Burton as well, because of the amount of um, bigger name halves and all the, and the fact that he plays for the dogs, like Luke mentioned and, and the draw, which I'm very hesitant about. I think that you're going to get him pretty late. Uh, and early on, that's might not look very good, but for draft, I'm a big believer in that you, you really, unlike classic, you want to set yourself up in draft for the finals and the season and the long run. And someone like Burton by halfway through the season, I'd expect him to be firing. Uh, and they do hit a, a, you know some better games in the second half. Um, I think for draft, you'll probably get some value of him there, and that's probably going to be his most relevance. Look, if he doesn't make the New South Wales team, um, which I don't think he will, then he's going to also be a, a premium round 13 option potentially as well that you can have a look at too. So I do think he's going to be useful this year. Um, I'm probably not quite as down on him as what you are, Luke, but I, I'm also not going to be looking at him round one, and I don't think you can. Uh, at all with the other options and the draw and all the other factors, I agree. Um, look, let's move on to another gun. And look, I really hate calling this guy a gun because he, he sort of gets called at his whole career just because he's fast and he scores tries. And people forget with Josh Adokar that there's more to super coach than that. Josh Adokar is coming in on a 61 average from 2021, right? That's officially a gun average. The four years before that, he was a 54, 53, 51 and 52. You know, it's was, easily it was his best scoring season of his super coach career. Up seven points from his best season prior, which was 2020. Uh, but that's really expected when you've got more tries than what's been scored ever before and more points that someone who's a noted try scorer is actually going to go up in super coach. He scored an insane amount of tries. You expect that that might go down again with how the NRL is looking at things and his average is probably going to go down just from that, even if he stayed at the Storm. But he's not at the Storm now. So 537K 
uh, is a lot of money when you look at his numbers. And five out of his 21 games are 23 or lower. So a low of 14, he can definitely score low. And 25% of his games, he's going 23 or lower. Um, 13 of his 21 games, his raw base was 20 or less. Not a worker. If you, if you didn't work that out, he, he's not a worker. 23 tries, including a six-try game, two hat-trick games, and three doubles games. If he had just five less tries, Luke, and four less line breaks, which I reckon could happen at the Storm this year if he was playing there, let alone playing at the Bulldogs, his average would drop down to, to about 54-55. And now if you're taking the Bulldogs factor, you know it's, it's probably going to be more like a 50. So I'm really not on Adokar at all. Um, I haven't seen many teams with him. He's only a few percent owned, um, but we do need to cover him as an official gun. But geez, he's a terrible option from round one for this year. Yeah, he should be at 0%. Transplant everything I said about Burton and times it by 10. Coming from the Melbourne left wing to the Canterbury left wing, um, nobody should have him in their team. Patrick could give him some good notes on um, yeah. on, on what he can do out there while he's bored as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, look, with these couple of recruits, Burton and Jack, um, I'm going to reiterate that I think that the Barrett factor is going to be really important for both of their super coach seasons. Um, how much Barrett comes around as a coach and allows the attack to flourish is going to go a long way to how successful these guys be. Adokar could literally halve his tries this year. He could end up having like 12 try try tries this year um, and I wouldn't see that as out of the realm of possibility and because he just relies on that only he's going to plummet avoid 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 fallen gun Paul Vaughan now he hasn't been much of a gun in the past but I think that it's interesting because he's coming in on a one-year deal which I like with a bit of a point to prove he's only 482k so he's in a bit of an awkward price point you know there's there's people that can't spend on prop that's just how they're structuring their team and they're looking at sub 500 guys and they want a guy that's sort of 400 to 500 and that's the range. If he could add an extra five minutes a game, that's going to be six or seven points better for him. Uh, his clutcher track was non-existent last year. He just had the one try. He's got the point to prove. So maybe there's a narrative where going to the dogs isn't as bad for someone like him because one, he's a Ford and he's a bit of a meat and potatoes Ford. And two, he's coming off some lower minutes games last year and only averaged 50 minutes overall. And He's on a one-year contract and kind of needs to fire. So, look, I'm not going to say he's a, he's a starter at all for round one, but I am watching an interest because in 2020, he did 58 points a game and in 2019, he did 60. 2017 was his glory year where he did 68 when he got a bucket of tries. Uh, I could see him getting back to a 60 type of game again. And again, with these guys that you're not going to look at round one for the dogs, Luke, you're going to be wanting to look at some solid forwards for round 13. And it'll be interesting in a career year how Paul Vaughan might actually bounce back in, in reality as well as fantasy. Yeah, I think he could play okay for Canterbury. He's got a point to prove. I watched him in the trial and he, he, he had a big crack at trying to score a try near the line like the great old Paul Vaughan keeper days. Um, and I think he'll like to do things like that, send a bit of a message that he's having a go and all that sort of thing. But uh, I think there's better guys in the four to five range. I think, you, you know, you can pick up... If Arrow gets 80 minutes for the South on an edge or... Um, uh, you know, Fanua Blake's 500 flats. There's a few guys in that sort of zone that I would be more inclined, even Stefano. That there's probably guys there that I think I would take over Vaughan as a punt for round one. If you're going to punt in that mid-range, mm. he's not at the top of my list, but he's someone that I would circle enough to watch how he's going and keep an eye on it. So I'd certainly like 
if you're not planning to watch the Bulldogs games, which I couldn't totally blame <laughs> you for, um, if, you, if they're not on your list to watch, um, I'd be getting on the you know the Super Coach site and checking how he's going, check his minutes and check his scores because he he he's, I could certainly see a scenario where he picks back up into a sort of low range keeper zone. Yeah, the three games before he actually lost his job last year, he had fifty eight, eighty one, and eighty four points, and. Mm. In those games, his raw base was 60, 59, and 60. So that gives you a little bit of a glimpse as to why you should probably keep your eye on him for during the season um, and see how he's going, especially towards that buy. Certainly not for round one, though. Um, I think that he will get back to gun status potentially, just around maybe that 60 mark, just scraping in. For draft, though, if you can get him near the end of a draft, jump on him. Great pickup. Yep. Yeah, great pickup. Yeah, great. Big balls pod. The electric Matt Dufty that you got to see do a great intercept try against mm. your Knights. On Monday night, um, 600k. But look, I tell you what. Um, obviously, it's hard as a fullback. But if, if say, I don't believe any of this is going to happen, right? But say Pappenhausen's out round one, Tedesco is out round one. You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But say it does, then it's going to really throw a cat among the pigeons because you know maybe you don't want Turbo, and then you just you know who are your two fullbacks? Maybe you got Turbo, and you're looking for another fullback. Yeah, it's. It's going to be interesting um, how that unfolds with those guys that are sort of having the rumours of doubt. I don't think that any of them are going to miss round one, but we'll wait and see. Matt Dusty's coming off a season where he's just had a career year averaging 68 points. And he's done that on a year that he didn't have a contract and he was playing for one. He's only signed a one-year deal with Canterbury. Uh, So I dare say he's going to be really trying again (laughs) to get another deal. And... If he replicates, you know, that 68-plus sort of zone, he's going to be one to keep your eye on. Fullback only really sucks. But if we get some injuries or guys out or over that representative period where round 13 is in that buy, could be interesting. Could be very pottish, though. So I was interested, Luke, when I was drilling down on his numbers, right? He had 10 tries and 11 line breaks in 15 games. To me, that's that's really not overs for Matt Dufty. You know, Matt Dufty scoring 66% of the time. Yep, that's that's pretty on the mark. I could see that. I could even see him scoring a little bit more, to be honest. Um, he did have 13 try assists and 18 line break assists, though, which was, which was pretty big. But in saying that, he's going into a spine that really only has Matt Burton as a noted high-usage ball player that's going to get some assists. So maybe he's going to replicate that season entirely and be a 68-point type of guy, which will be interesting for draft if you miss out on the big fullbacks. But force, classic. If you've got some of these other fullbacks out, can you see him nudging into the conversation on that sort of Gutho Latrell type of level? Yeah, I could see him not on a Latrell level. I think Latrell, if you add goal kicking to what he did last year, he'd be up with the the top level. Yep. So I expect that from him. But Gutho and those guys, yeah, I, I think Dufty's a fantastic attacking player. Um, I actually thought I was actually really disappointed um, that the Knights didn't look at getting him in to move Ponga to the halves. So I think he's a really, really good attacking player with some obvious defensive um, deficiencies. And I think he can make as much of a difference to Canterbury as Burton will. Um, we saw it in the trial. He set up a beautiful try uh, after they made a break. He, he threw the long pass to get around Young and hit the winger. And he's very good in those situations. He's quick. He's got a really nice pass on him. Um backs up well and all those sorts of things. But I think just being at Canterbury will limit him. I think he'll be really good for hit them and they'll be glad they got him. And he could average around the same again because I think he could have some days out. But the problem when you're in those teams is you've got to cash in on the days out. If they play Brisbane mm-hmm. and are off their game and he gets 40 because they just aren't at their best, 
then then you run into the run of four games against the top four where he won't score well and you're in trouble. Whereas the top teams, guys like Tedesco, they can get a 40 against Brisbane because they can get the 120 because everyone's not as good as the Roosters sort of thing. Like, see, you get 12 teams to play that the Roosters could bath and a couple of close ones. Whereas those Canterbury games, you're banking on him having to do well against those couple of teams that they actually could put a score on. Um, and, and that's not having a go at them. I, I do think they'll be better. But if, if they come 11th or 12th or even, as you say, at their best at, in, into that ninth or something, you still that's still a large part of the competition. You're not going to put big scores on. And, and that can be the problem. So I think that'll hold him back a little bit. But I really like him in real life. I, I hope he does well at Canterbury because I think he's, it's ridiculous if he's not in the NRL. Um, and I could easily see him averaging around what he did because St. George weren't any good either. It's very different to the Penrith and Melbourne thing with that O'Carr and, um, and, and Burton. He's coming from a fairly stinking team as well where he scored well as. So, um, uh, yeah, I really like him as a player. I, I wouldn't be really looking at him for round one. I think now that Latrell's back round two, if we had word Pappenhausen and Teddy were out for a length of time, I'd just lock Latrell in and miss a week But because um, it's too important to muck around with. And mm. I think you're right. I think Pappenhausen and Teddy will play the first week anyway. And it's just such an important position that I don't like buggering around with. I want two gun fullbacks and I'll, I, as long as they're available, I'll, I'll lock them in. 600K, if you were center wing, you know, yeah. it'd start to become a little bit puntable, but um, unfortunately... 100%, yeah. I'd have him in almost if he was there. I think he scores so well um, that I, I'd, I'd think seriously about it. Maybe I wouldn't pull the trigger because it's easy to say it when you're not actually doing it, but <laughs> I, I'd have a really big think about him if he was at center wing or something like that. That's to be sure. highlighted that his high score last year was 156. Yeah, he he can go big. Yeah, he can go big. And that was against the Broncos where mm. I think that it's one of those, you get those, you know, half a dozen performances in a year that you always remember. And you go mm. like, that's a not an all-time individual effort, but it's like a, a season individual effort that you remember. There's half a dozen of those. And he had an individual game of brilliance that was just all over the place. You know, he had tries, his line breaks, he a couple of tries himself. He just killed it. Um, had 92 points between um, all of his clutch attack stats that he gathered in that game. And he just was absolutely on fire. So mm. got the big ones in him, three out of 15 tonnes. Um, but unfortunately, fullback only. Braden Burns, when we're talking about big balls pods. Now, I've got to say, I in the early days of Braden Burns, I was pretty against him. And then Billy got into my ear and he sort of got me on the Braden Burns train. And I was like, okay, he's got really good base and base attack. I really like that. Uh, and he still does. You know, last season, played very limited games. He's been injured every year. You know, he plays like eight games a year the last few years. But he had over 34 raw base in 80-minute games. His base base attack takes him to 42-plus easy each game, which is great for a center wing. Um, coming in at 440K, though, and only four 80-game sample size as well for his 58 average. A little bit tough. Um, I was hoping that he was going to get a discount because he was so injured and he's hardly been playing. And Luke, I was kind of hoping that he was going to be around that 350k mark. And I actually would have been really happy with Braden Burns at 350k over some of these other 350k guys, which is heaps in center wing, if he was at price point. Because I reckon he could go a 60 average with a really good floor of sort of 42, 43 points. But at 440k, it just becomes really hard. But Big Ball's pod, uh, you know, can you talk yourself into it at 440k and just hope that he doesn't get hurt this year and he, he reaches his potential? No. 
no, he gets hurt too much. Um, I know what you mean. I eventually came around to him too. When I, I But I took a long time because I had him as a cheapie and played him in a game once when he played on the wing and got five points in 80 minutes against the Cowboys playing for South. He dropped like four too. bombs. <laughs> yeah. And like, so for the next two years, people go, oh, he's base and taste attacks good. And I just was like, nah, nah, he's terrible. <laughs> um, he, he did actually, he's actually quite, I actually really like his ability. Uh, I can't trust him. I've brought him back in. He's done hammies for the second and third time in a row and stuff. Too injury prone with not enough upside in that team. I think he will base well if he plays, but I'm not even sure he will play. I think they'll have Shoop and um, and Naden in the centres. And if I had to guess, and if he gets into the centres, we'll look how he goes. But I think even if he plays five or six good games, he's just closer to breaking down again. Mm. And it's not really the upside there in their team to make it worth it because you're locking in 50 points. But I, if you want to lock in those sorts of scores, just just lock in one of the back rowers playing at centre or or your chase upside um, yep. for that price. I, I'd do either of those things before him. But I, I really actually do hope that he plays 20 games this year and locks a centre spot down and plays because I, I really do think he can play football. I just don't think he's had enough chance to show it. Yeah, 100% agree. No, I like him. I, mm. You'll probably get him in the last round of your draft. And, you know, for a throwaway pick, could do worse than the very last pick of your draft with a four-person bench to throw Braden Burns on it in case he actually yeah. gets a start and actually gets through um, the season and plays because he'll, he'll score okay for that position. Yeah, for sure. Controversial chat here. Very controversial because, look, aside from their you know, new recruits, Josh Jackson was one of their best players last year on Supercoach. And he did a little bit under the radar. And for the last couple of years, it's just been very much uh, Josh Jackson's a mistake, repeat. He's meat and potatoes. He's not going to go well, repeat. And he sort of like looked at him as an option the last couple of years. He said, look, there's a chance, but I wouldn't bet on it. I just wouldn't do it round one. 2019, he was sort of he was 58 average. 2020, he was only a um, 50 point average, and his minutes were actually more. So in 2020, he was 77 minutes. In in 2019, which was his best year, 58 points a game, he was only 73 minutes. But he was swapping between edge roles and and lock. Uh, in 2021, he played exclusively in the 13 jumper, and he still played 74 minutes a game, which is key because a lot of the time in the middle, you're going to get less time than what you do on the edge. But it wasn't really the case with him. 65 points a game since he just exclusively played in the middle. Uh, very, very good score. And it's even better when you unpack it and realise that he's still completely meat and potatoes, Josh Jackson, but it means that to get 65 points a game, it was a 60 raw base. So something very, very reliable um, in his scoring because he was always getting you really, really high base scores. Pretty crazy, Luke, when you unpack that year because he only had one game below 50. Um, which was his lowest minute game of the year at, at 63, and he still scored 46. So 60 raw base is phenomenal. Unfortunately, his base base attack is only 62 because <laughs> he's got nothing else to his game. Seems sad to say that he's a mistake to bring him in, um, but I just I, I can't see him replicating last year, and I think that he's going to go back to the years prior. Replicating last year would be the best case scenario, and it's not quite good enough um, for me. You, you need guys these days when guys are getting 150 and 200s and all this sort of stuff, you need guys with upside and guys with a ceiling and he doesn't have it. And, and, you know, one HIA or concussion or whatever. And that's a really bad score for that week where some of these other guys like Pangai can get hooked 10 minutes early or get a bin and come back and throw an off 
three offloads and get a good score anyway. Jackson has to get big minutes every week. Like one niggling injury, one tin binning or one anything, and you get a really bad score that brings it down and sort of makes it not worth it when the upside's only 60 anyway. Um, I just The game's moved past in Supercoach having you Sean Fensom, Aiden Tolman, Josh Jackson type players plugged in. You, you need guys with ceiling and he doesn't quite have it. So if the best we're going to get is this, then it's just not quite there for super coach. I mean, it's still very useful in real life to have guys that do all the work he does and to get through that sort of level of stuff. And he's a great leader as well. But just talking super coach, you just need a bit more from your forwards. Now you want Pangai type players and and your you know your Crichtons and those guys are in those positions that can that can go big and have a good base. That's what you're after. Incredibly consistent, but uh didn't mm. score a try all year. So he was one of the nudie run participants at the end of mm. the Bulldog season, which was very early by the way. Um but yeah. <laughs> post origin had no base attack. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> None. Yeah. Um yeah, and there's no reason to think that that would change. And if that would change, you would be going, "What? Is, what are they doing?" Because it's that's not they have they've bought other players to get base attack. It's not supposed to come from Josh Jackson, or, or you know what I mean. Like it's not, they've got other forwards that have that in their game. He's he's there to tackle people and hit the ball. He's going to be hitting thirty-two and that's what he's going during to do. season yep. two, so he's not getting younger. Um, and whilst you know, for him and Luke Thompson, they're now going to have um, much better plays in their pack, like a Vaughan and a Pan guy that are going to be using the ball a lot and the work rate. Um, I think that Thompson's young enough to be able to still cope with that, whereas Jackson's older and probably not as much. Mids and cheapies. There's a few guys. Um, Brent Naden's the first one who you mentioned earlier. Could, could jag the centre spot. Uh, look, Straight off the bat, he looks like he might be about nine points underpriced, um, which is pretty nice. In 2021, he only averaged about he only averaged 43 points a game. Um, and he did that because he had one game in particular where he only played 27 minutes and scored a nine uh, and only five other games in his sample for the year. So he didn't have a huge amount of huge amount of games in the season. That nine point game really brought his average down, really brings his price down. 43 points in 2021. In 2020, he did 52 points. Now, I kind of feel like that's probably what his season looks like, in which case you might have nine points of value. And Luke, he is one of these guys, you know, and there's a gluttony of them. And people keep saying in centre wing, but actually there's now a gluttony of them in secondary forward too. Uncannily, guys that are close in, in price point at 350K. And he's just another one of them. So, I mean, there's obviously some slightly cheaper guys near the 300K mark in the centre wing, but there's a lot of 350K guys. Brett Naden's 342,000. Obviously, coming from Penrith to Canterbury is not great for an outside back, but on a 43-point average, he doesn't have to do a huge amount to make 100K. Um, They do have the first couple of games that are quite easy. So I could see him scoring tries against the Broncos and also the Cowboys. But that's where the dream ends of maybe looking at him for me. You know, I looked at him because of his price point. I think everyone should. He's 4% owned, so some people are. But um, look, that draw just absolutely kills a try scorer like him. And I need to say in this chat too that I just double-checked Josh Adokar. I got him and Naden confused. Naden's 4% owned. Adokar's in 7% of teams. So there you go, both of these guys. That's way too high. Um, yeah, I really like I really like Naden's player. I, I think he's a 
really good player and I was, never really understood why why Staines was getting picked over in first stages of last year and I know he had other problems off the field and I thought it was odd that Mamaruski was ahead of him to be honest with you I think he's really got a lot more to offer but um, yeah uh, same things we've talked about is the opportunity for the outside backs isn't going to be extreme there he might have a good couple of weeks but uh, if you're getting on him early and you're looking for price rises those four games in a row against the top four are just going to completely stunt that prospect of big growth even if he sneaks over for a double in one of them you think there's going to be some low scores in the others that stop any big rockets of prices early so he's not a keeper and it doesn't look like he'll rocket in price in the first month or two so no for me yep agreed um cory allen it's it feels weird to say cory allen origin player but he was um (laughs) Corey Allen, the origin player, you sort of notice because he's only 265,000. And like he's, there's not a lot of bottom dollar cheapies that are penciled in for definite starters. And there might not be any. And we've had this discussion on all the preseason podcasts. Maybe the lowest you're going to get is like a, a 250 to 300K guy is going to be the lowest cheapie that you're going to get for center wing when TLT drops. So 265K looks really appealing. He didn't score a try until round 18. And he only had three tries in 18 games. Nine out of his 18 games were on the wing as well. And nine out of his 18 games on the wing, he only scored 29 points per game. And that's where he's going to be playing. So I, I'm i sort of torn on this one because, you know, you sort of look at it and go 265,000. Geez, if he's the cheapest center wing there is, I want to spruce up my side everywhere else. Even if he's the, the worst one out of my seven, I'll plug him in for a cheap guy that's playing every week. But when you look at the numbers, you just sort of go, it doesn't really matter. He's never going to make any money anyway. He's just, he just scores terrible, unless it's an entirely new Bulldogs team, which I think they need too many changes for him to score well. Yeah, no time for him. He, he's like a, he could get into the Dean Farre territory of being a cheapie twice in the year. Like where they average just <laughs> so bad that they'd never go up. And if they score a try and they finally make 100K, they then lose it all and you could get back on him. He's that that level bad. Like it, it, he's got no work rate on the wing. They won't score that many points. He may well not make the team. Um, he was terrible when he started at Souths. And then Latrell was out for that final series and he had a really good run of games and looked really good. Got a deal at the Dogs, looked terrible there like he always had before. And, yeah, he's a guy who's probably had two good months in first grade in his whole career, and it was always at fullback. Uh, he never had a good game in his life on the wing, and that's the only place I can see him playing. I don't think he'll get picked at all, but if he does, it'll be on the wing. And, I'll, I'll no, nah, I, I wouldn't get on him. I think they'll, it's very unlikely that we won't have better options. I reckon he'd be a slow burn if he was minimum priced. Like, yeah, seriously, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Which is <laughs> which is hard to do. Like yeah. normally, like a winger could score a double or whatever in a couple of weeks in a round rocket. But 177k, he'd probably get to his current price point in sort of three months, um, and that's yeah, that's the problem. Um, last one is Hetherington. Now this is interesting, right? Because Hetherington in a lot of teams now is looking like he's going to be a starting edge, which I just find insane. Um, especially when the reasoning is that it's going to help him with not getting suspended and stuff. Like <laughs> I had to laugh. <laughs> like, why don't you just yeah. why don't you just tell him that he doesn't have to tackle? Why don't you just do an NFL thing where you like substitute him every time they have to defend? Like, seriously, it's rugby league. He's still in the forward pack. He's still going to be tackling guys, and I don't think he's yeah. going to hit them any less harder just because he's playing. You know, wow. one out of the middle. 
Um, I think rather than moving him, you could try and address his tackling technique <laughs> and why he keeps hitting people in the brain. Like why he keeps hitting people across their brains um, seems to be the more of the problem than where he's standing on the field. But that's just me. That's just me. Oh, look, you could probably hit up Doc Brown and get the DeLorean out and take him yeah. back 20 years and he'd probably be playing for Australia and it'll be fine. That's right. Don't have to change yeah. anything, but... In lieu of a DeLorean or having a talk to him, I don't think that the edge role is really going to be the change he needs. Um, but for no. super coach purposes, uh, Hetherington was obviously suspended quite a bit, but mm-hmm. <laughs> still managed 17 games somehow, played 53 minutes a game for 43 points. So obviously his work rate was not ideal anyway, and that was with him playing mm. in the middle. Yep. At the end of the year, they put him on the edge for one game, and it actually... Mm translated but it is only one game 50 minutes on an edge 68 points had a line break and a try his base was still 35 which is atrocious still um but his base actually dropped only three or four points because his base was so bad at the start maybe you know if he scores a few tries it kind of offsets his bad base um and maybe he gets extra minutes because you know 53 minutes a game for an edge is pretty low maybe he gets sort of 60 or even 65 if he gets 80 minutes it would shock me, but it suddenly becomes interesting because even a bad scoring player at 80 minutes going from, you know, 45 to 53 to 80 is going to score a lot better. It's really tough, Luke, because I just don't see it working, but Trent Barrett's the type of coach that I could see persisting with it for too long. And at 375,000 as a front row forward, there's probably a few teams saying if he starts on the edge, I don't want to spend a front row forward at all he's like my second guy with a Pango or with a Haas and I'm just going to like not spend. And maybe that works because he's playing 80 minutes. It's a bit of a hard one for me. Was it the last round that he played on the Yeah, end? last one. They yeah. gave him a bit of an experiment. So it's come to, on Supercoach. It says he played 80 minutes on the game um, on there. Cause that's what I did it on. It's coming up that he played 80 on the Supercoach site um, uh. in that game. So that's what put me off because I went on there and saw that it was 80 minutes with a try for 68. Oh, you're right. You're so, right. He did play 80. I yeah. made a mistake. That's even, that's much worse. <laughs> yeah. So, so I look, I, I looked at him and thought, oh, he's just never based enough. And I saw the 68 and got excited and then looked at the stats and saw he scored a try. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure if there was a line break in it. There was. Yeah. Yeah, there was. So he made. 16 points in hit-ups and 22 tackles in 80 minutes on the field. Um, and there's some negative points in there as well. But but that's, to me, his middle work rate was very low. I, I, I have a little bit of time for him as a player. He's a bit of an aggressive forward. I think he runs the ball well, but his work rate's not very good. And I think the edge thing will probably fizzle out. They're going to have... Um, Patana Mariner coming back pretty quickly in the early rounds of the season, and they might even rotate that role to get him back used to it. And I don't think he'll excel there. I can't see him be a good line runner or anything. Uh, and even if he's good there, I just think if he does a job for the team, it probably won't be that high work rate role we're looking for. I think at 375, you're going to have to go higher or go right down. If you're looking mm. for a prop, you've got to find someone with a really good opportunity, like if Bullymore gets the edge at Manly, or you're going to have to go into the 400s. There's guys, he's 375. Like you, for, for mid for, for mid fours, you could get Jai Arrow if he's 80 on the edge, for example. Like to me, that's not a big enough price difference to that mm. next level of guy 
Uh, you know what I mean? Like there are guys that you're talking about 75 grand or something for to get you really a good player who'll get good points. I'd almost go for a bench guy for less yeah. that's going to get, like to Noah Brown looks like he might get good minutes even off the bench. Yeah. And certainly he might even be in the in the running to start potentially if Lolo doesn't play the first round or two. Yeah. And he's 270K, so he's more than 100K less. So you may as well just do something like that, I think. Oh, you probably get the same points. Honestly, I just don't see Hetherington doing anything. I think you, mm. you you could seriously, he could play that game. He could be get back to the glorious days of um, like Frank Winnerstein edge of, you know, 30, <laughs> 27. Those and, are great yeah, days. The, 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 the king himself, like on the edge getting, like I remember he scored a try for me in one game and it, it didn't crack 50. And like, you know, when he I, went over, I, was in, I was in hysterics with the, because it was just, thank God I got a 40 out of him. But that, honestly, it, it, there's no guarantee that people score better on the edge. You do have to tackle people. You do have to run the ball. And we haven't seen that from him. And if you see it from him, get on him. Like if we go and prices don't move immediately. So that's the benefit of this is you can watch a couple of games and then make that move, but you can really do can make mistakes early in super coach by making him your second prop or something like that. Cause he's at a price that if it doesn't work out, there is no one you can fix that to like, you don't have, you don't keep a hundred grand spare. You're going to spend most of your money. Most of us will have 10, 30 grand left or something like that. And I've made this mistake myself. I remember years ago, I locked Jack, I said, I can afford to not get a gun and I'll lock Ryan James in because he's really unders and he's going to score really well on the edge. It was a few years ago. It was when he's the Titans and he played on the edge and just got 40 like all the time. And I had him locked in as a gun in my team, in my structure. And when you do that, thinking, oh, I'm going to get 60 points a week out of this guy, when it doesn't work, no one in the price range could help yeah, me. You're really like, stuck <laughs> in it. You've got yeah, to make multiple uh, yeah, trades to get out that, of that. Era. That's right. To get out of it, you had to go and make multiple trades. And that can happen with Heatherington. So I'm a big believer in going to someone who's relatively safe and going to do okay. Um, because if you if Heatherington comes out and goes 60, 60, 60, and you've started Jai Arrow, you can just downgrade to Hetherington and pocket that 80 grand. You know what I mean? Like, because you know, Arrow's not going to be a total disaster or, or, you know, whoever it is you're looking at, like Fanua Blake's 500, that sort of range you can come down from, but you can't when you really back someone as your starter. If you're going to back a Hetherington, it has to be your third prop or your fourth back rower. Uh, I know he's only a prop, but you know what I mean? Those sorts of gambles have to be your fourth option or your third option in those front and second row positions. You can't rely on them to be your base score. Or you're in trouble. Yeah. 100%. And if he's your second prop and he gets suspended round two um, and you're going cheap too. there, then don't you're start in him and Pangai. Don't start him and Pangai. <laughs> you're in big trouble in round two and they both go. <laughs> well, look, that does it for the mids and cheapies. Um, I need to mention to everyone the fantastic partner of the All Stars podcast in Top Sport as well. Top Sport is a 100% Australian owned bookmaker, best odds in market almost all the time that I have a look at it. NRL futures are up at the moment. Get on there, www.topsport.com.au. Certainly download the app if you want to have a look on the app instead. But if you're going to sign up, use promo code SC All Stars when you sign up. SC All Stars, all one word. They'll know that you're one of our listeners, so they'll take great care of you. And you have a look at the great NRL futures markets that are up there now. There might even be some stat markets that are coming up that I'm excited to talk about when I'm allowed to if they actually get up and running. So it's going to be great. But jump on topsport.com.au and use the SC All Stars promo code to have a punt and gamble responsibly. Luke, fantastic to have you on to talk about a non-Roosters Newcastle team where we could dissect the Bulldogs, mate. Appreciate you coming on. 
I appreciate it, mate. Love being on there. Hope I didn't offend the Bulldogs fans too much. I hope, really do hope they go well this year. It's good to see a few new players in there, and I hope they make a bit of a jump up for the fans. <laughs> I'm sure they will. You can hear Luke as well on the uh, Rugby League Cemetery podcast. Great podcast that looks back on old games and assesses them and does commentary on them, which is fantastic. I love all the old-school discussion on the old games. There's a 2002 game, I think it is, that's coming up. Um, that's just been released and there's another one coming up shortly as well. So get on the Rugby League Cemetery too and certainly get on this podcast because you can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars and you can subscribe, stream or download on iTunes, SoundCloud as well as Spotify. The listens and the support have been fantastic, guys. So thanks very much. This is the Supercoach episode of the All Stars podcast. Uh, we do have the talk and footy once a week now as well on the podcast and we do have two new teams that are going to come on next week as well with three more team previews for Supercoach remaining. So keep on listening, keep on subscribing. We'll give you three podcasts a week or around about that um, for the coming few weeks leading up to kick off. Good luck with your teams, playing with them the next few days until we can do with another podcast. And thanks very much for listening once again. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 